can't believe we actually managed to find a different taxi driver. I know. Mr. Shakespeare guy. You doing okay? Yeah. You? I don't know. I have no idea. Okay. Got it. Welcome to Buddhist for Truth. This is September 29th, 2021. The five of us are here. And John's going to start off with this question, John. Hi. Uh, my question for the group uh, tonight is when we, um, in, in this world, we get caught up in samsara and everything that's going around us, uh, what are some ways or ideas of reconnecting with our citta or Buddha nature or whatever you want to call that? And, and aligning with that part of ourselves. Are you caught in the matrix? One of the hardest things to get across in esotericism is non-duality. In fact, it is the hardest thing to get across. The whole esoteric tradition means non-duality. The hardest thing is to make understand that everything that happens is only an intellectual rumination. So there is no awakening, or the awakening is to understand precisely that, if you question the entire majority of people, they will tell you that there is them and this body, this body and this spirit, this spirit and them. But few will tell you that this duality does not exist. Few will tell you that this duality is them talking to themselves. This is probably what differentiates us from the rest of the living world. Or at least in the intensity of the inner questioning. This is our strength but it is also our downfall. Our downfall because we are too caught up in the world of ideas. Ideas are useful but as the rule of the Trinity says, an idea must be born, an idea must live, an idea must die. And the problem is that we are, as a biological species, very good at inventing new ideas, at making them live, but we have a hard time getting rid of old ideas. Because of dopamine and the need for seeking. And the rest of the biological world does not have this existential problem. That is why the pagan world, of antiquity and before, was superior to the democratic mode. Because it was closer to nature. It considered itself as a member of nature, the universe, modernism, monotheism, has affirmed egocentrism, as a rule. Destroying this principle of universality in the sense of having its own place not being outside of it. Monotheistic egocentrism opposes man to his environment. This is how we systematically destroy all our ecosystems. And this is not going to get any better, the more we go into modernity, the more we will become alienated with our environment to a point where there will be no way back. Unless there is a miracle of evolution of nature, the human species has no chance to survive. About awakening, the first step out of the world of duality is quite scary. And you will lose your whole center. Everyone has to pass through it. It's scary, and you're going to be petrified by it. Life without a center. Awakening from the Dream of Separation by Jeff Foster, or An Extraordinary Absence by Jeff Foster. As the title of these books emphasizes it, there is no longer a center. This center, this illusion of a self disappeared. And why does this illusion of a self disappear in the first place? Because you realize that it was just an inner monologue. Then obviously the identity disappears, not all at once, but the time that this body is transformed, giving up the thought, that is to say, several months, years. Historically, it is always the mystics who venture into these unfamiliar lands. And so it is they who advance the human society, creating religious traditions, which unfortunately become religions, institutions. 
these same institutions end up doing the opposite of the work of mystical inspiration that is imposing an exoteric tradition them and the body this body and this spirit this spirit and them exoterism religions as institutions is the negation of the esoteric work and therefore the negation of the human the same negation that ends up in communism or nazism from the impact of awakening by adyashanti question how do you define non duality answer from adyashanti cessation of conceptualization perceiving before the mind perceiving without mind enlightened action leaves no trace enlightened action comes directly from emptiness not from the mind it is spontaneous when the identification mechanism is broken then you don't think anymore unconsciously you do this all day long you don't decide hundreds of small actions in a day these things happen without saying to yourself there what i do how i do it no the action comes by itself awakening is just understanding that you are not the mental process if you say i am not this body but i am the mind then you are producing the same pattern identification is the key to understand awakening from roy bhaskar a theory of education by david scott and roy bhaskar however non duality is a characteristic of action because when you spontaneously know how to drive a car you do not think about it you just drive it when you spontaneously know how to drive or to speak you just drive or speak you just spontaneously express yourself when a baby is crawling by you just pick it up you do not think about it you just do it when two people work so perfectly together as a team that there is no sense of separation you can find two people who cook together one anticipates the move of the other or two footballers or two cricket players in perfect unity again a group of musicians must be in the state to produce anything have you ever thought how odd it is how so few people actually bump into each other on the streets in india or anywhere else for that matter there are so many people so little space there is so little calculation this is magical the synchronicity that stops people from bumping into each other so this is the fourth kind of transcendental non dual state we must be in to do anything so this state of non duality that spiritual philosophers have talked so much about is something that we are very familiar with in our everyday experience now a lot of philosophers think that because it is spontaneous it is not structured now that is not true people have always thought that when you reach the absolute then that is the end actually the absolute is only the beginning if you have been identified all your life with your past saying i did this i became this etc then you really never progress because this set of memories that you call your life will not bring you anything new you will repeat the same processes like the hamster in its wheel breaking that identification is the important thing it leaves you naked yes of course but free and you will really start to progress and not repeat any more from that point every enlightened being is uniquely different the more creative the more of a genius you are the more expanded you are the more unique you are but you do not have a sense of your uniqueness because you do not attribute your uniqueness to an ego the really important point is that each of us in our ground state is unique and understanding this uniqueness and respecting difference is consistent with non duality supposing we are arguing about which team plays better at hockey you may say holland i may say germany we may understand what the other is saying so we have transcendental identity as a condition for the argument but he has his point of view and i have my point of view the last point to appreciate is that non duality does not mean that you stop fighting the best warrior has total identity with the enemy 
completely understands the enemy. I know as a philosopher, we could go, as Lakshmi was suggesting, into my battles at school and so on, but I know as a philosopher that I cannot really critique a false and mystified system of beliefs until I totally absorb it, I'm totally at one with it. So the best general is the one who has done his reconnaissance, the one who completely understands his enemy, he is totally at one with his enemy. We become one with the other, not in order necessarily to agree with the other or to be the other permanently, but in order to eliminate the other. So we have to understand what are the blocks, the constraints, the checks on our own emancipation, what are the blocks, the constraints, the checks on the emancipation of all people, all beings everywhere. We have to become one with them. We have to totally understand them to eliminate them, that is these blocks, constraints, forces. This means that the spiritual being is also a warrior, but he is a warrior at peace with himself. This is the beautiful thing, and when Krishna said to Arjuna, do not be upset at your dharma, what you have to do, for you have to understand the soul is immortal, and it is your dharma for you to kill your enemies, you just focus on your action, do not worry about the consequence. That is what we have to do. Religions teach the religious the opposite, that is to say a social etiquette, which leads to the advent of the bourgeois class in the society. In this way I have been able to understand many things in my life, because I have immersed myself in these subjects. I understand much more about the roots of Christianism, the articulation of it, and the purpose of the founders of Christianism, than the Christians. For I have totally immersed myself in the subject. You cannot live your life as a spectator, you must participate. Religion as an institution has emphasized a God, separating the human from the divine, divine is life principle. As long as you think you have a relationship with God or with your wife or your children, then there is a sense of separation. I find it very hard, and understandably so, to get across the idea that these doctrines like Christianism have led to collectivism. And yet if you understand that the sense of separation leads to hating the other, for you see the other in all that you are not, which obviously is racism. So it's logical that we've come to the very Christian Nazism of the 20th century, or the communistic collectivism, and that we have not come out of this spiral, on the contrary. For example Black Lives Matters is another one of those manifestations of collectivism or racism. If you see the other for being different, then you have a problem. Of course we are different, nature does not make two things the same. Feminism is the same and now all these doctrines of gender. All this is only the hatred of the other, of difference. That is to say the hatred of nature, that is to say the hatred of one's own life and existence. This is the portrait of the religious, and in the West, it is the monotheist and his hatred of paganism and of all that is natural. From Schopenhauer on self, world and morality. Vedantic and non-Vedantic perspectives by Arati Barwa. The knowledge of non-duality is true for the wise, and the knowledge of duality with multiple realities is true for the ignorant. The same truth, again quite differently presented, is also a leading doctrine of the Vedas and Puranas, the doctrine of Maya, by which really nothing else is understood than what Kant calls the phenomenon in opposition to the thing in itself. This obsession with defining oneself is what characterizes humans. His brain has evolved in a strange way. As long as we are at the mental process, there will be an identification.
there be a goal to be reached, it cannot be permanent. The goal must already be there. We seek to reach the goal with the ego, but the goal exists before the ego. What is in the goal is even prior to our birth, to the birth of the ego. Because we exist, the ego appears to exist too. If we look on the self as the ego, then we become the ego. If as the mind, we become the mind. If as the body, we become the body. It is the thought which builds up sheaths in so many ways. From Perfect Brilliant Stillness by David Kass, the ancient teachings from India, the teachings of Advaita, of pure non-duality, of not-two-ness, make perfect sense. They make sense because at night, in the jungle, in a bamboo hut in a native village in the Amazon rainforest hundreds of miles from any road, in the dark, in the torrential tropical downpour, amid teachings and teachers very different but exactly the same, I wake up from a dream. I lie naked in the naked presence and there is nothing else. Once aware of the dream, I cannot be unaware. The purpose is to understand this identification mechanism. Meister Eckhart, a German friar of the Order of Preachers of St. Dominic, lived and taught in the years 1260-1327. Just how he came to the understanding which he espoused, or which espoused him, has not been recorded. However, his writings and sermons speak of the same truth of radical non-duality that mystics and sages, East and West, have always pointed toward. Eckhart spoke of something he called, releasement, an ultimate letting go which amounts to a total negation and annihilation of the individual self. This releasement opens into the breakthrough beyond God, which for all intents and purposes corresponds with what is referred to in other traditions as awakening, enlightenment, or the understanding. What he saw, he insisted could not be understood unless and until this releasement and breakthrough occurred, when all would become obvious. What Eckhart taught, what his releasement is a letting go into, is a unity which dramatically transcended medieval Christian belief. The human and the divine, he saw, are one unique unity without difference, because, prior to distinction into substances, the acting of God and the becoming of man join both God and man into one identical event. This is what the original religion was before the introduction of monotheism. Being, for Eckhart, is presence, which is one, universal. Similarly, since there is a sense of separation among moderns compared to antiquity, then universalism is perceived as a set of differences. If you take the United Nations for example, the essential organ of modern universalism in modern times, then you have this confusion. The idea of making a whole, nations, to have universalism makes absolutely no sense, it's the very negation of universalism. The United Nations pushes in fact to the monotheism, that is to say to the individualism. In the sense that the individual is God, all this movement initiated in the last 300 years or so, from the Enlightenment to Collectivism, is a single unitary movement, and will annihilate the human as a species. For Eckhart, being is God, and inasmuch as anything is, it is God, having, the identical being and the identical substance and nature. If God's nature is my nature, then the divine being is my being. From introduction to the middle way, Chandrakirti's Madhyamakavatara with commentary by Ju Maifam, question, I did not understand the link between non-duality and compassion. If you see the other as different, you will inevitably hate him or her. This is the beginning of nationalism or racism. From the moment you no longer see the other as different, then all these morbid thoughts, which lead to the detestation of the other for what you are not, disappear. You don't care because you know who you are. Compassion is that, 
that is to say no longer hiding the other. The Buddha, for example, has direct cognition. Valid direct cognition seems to be non-duality. Direct cognition has been called many words in different esoteric traditions. Direct knowledge, direct cognition, real experience, direct apprehension, immediate evidence, direct life, integrity of intellection, recollection of the mind, unified consciousness, non-dual knowledge, noesis, noetic mind, and so on. From stairway to the stars, Sufism, Gurdjieff and the inner tradition of mankind by Max Gorman. As has been already indicated, the sleep which the mystics say we are in is greater and more complex than only the self-forgetfulness just described, however serious a deficiency of our consciousness it undoubtedly is. Higher realm of consciousness possible to us, which the ancients called wisdom, which the mystery schools called vision, which Jesus called the kingdom of heaven, which the Gnostics called Gnosis, which the Illuminati called illumination, termed the fourth state, by Gurdjieff, and perception of knowledge, by the Sufis. From Gnostic theurgy by Gnostic Apostolic Church, Institute for Gnostic Studies, the central rite of the Katha faith was the consolamentum, a special baptism which initiated those who have moved from being credence, believers, to parfait, perfect ones. From the restored New Testament, the Hellenic fragments, freed from the pseudo-Jewish interpolations, harmonized, and done into English verse and prose with introductory analyses and commentaries by James Morgan Price, Plato's analysis of the four faculties, doxa, opinion, illusory knowledge, 1. Akasia, perception of images, 2. Pistis, faith, psychic groping, gnosis, episteme, wisdom, true knowledge, 3. Dianoia, philosophic reason, 4. Noesis, direct cognition, the first of these degrees covers the whole field of the inductive physical sciences, which are concerned with investigating the phenomena of external nature. The second degree embraces exoteric religion and all phases of blind belief, and these two degrees comprise all the knowledge available to those whose consciousness does not transcend the illusions of the material world. The third degree relates to speculative philosophy, which seeks to arrive at first principles by the effort of pure reason. The fourth degree is the direct apprehension of truth by the lucid mind independently of any reasoning process, and these two degrees, pertaining to the noetic or higher mind. Elsewhere Plato speaks of the mantic state, which he describes as a kind of madness produced, by a divine release from the ordinary ways of men. I differ from James Morgan Price in his interpretation of the third degree, pure reasoning. He classifies reasoning with the fourth, which is that apprehension of reality without cognition. I don't understand why he doesn't make the distinction, he probably didn't understand it. Other words more tinged with conceptualization, that is duality, have also been used, liberating knowledge, jnana, jnana, gyan, ginans, gnosis, marifa, marifah, etc., intuitional, mind. Those who had this knowledge were called perfect ones, stars, gnostics, jananis, and so on, from happiness and the art of being. A layman's introduction to the philosophy and practice of the spiritual teachings of Bhagavan Sri Ramana by Michael James. Just as the reality underlying the illusory appearance of the snake is just a rope lying on the ground. Or the analogy of Plato and his cave. Identification is born more of fear. That's why racists are dangerous always, because fearful people are always dangerous. From full stop. The gateway to present perfection by John Wheeler. No one can say, I am not, as the very statement presupposes the existence of the one attempting to deny his or her own existence. Non-duality speaks to the non-separation of the seeker and the final reality being sought. 
as all of the traditions tell us, each in its own way, you are that. Non-duality books, quotes, spiritual jargon and hypothetical, what-ifs are entirely incapable of revealing the direct recognition. Many approaches, even under the banner of non-duality, tend to leave the me intact and offer it various carrots or attainments, which really do nothing but flatter and strengthen the false identity. It is not so much that the illusion of me falls away, but it is seen to have never been present in the first place. Those who work on the overcoming of the me are falling into the false perspective that there is a me present at all. That is why the moment you hear people speaking of losing the me, overcoming the ego, losing the egoic structures, etc., you can see they are barking up the wrong tree and have not yet grasped the basic point. In other words, the problem has been misjudged, and so whatever action is being undertaken based on that view is bound to be off the mark. Yet these approaches are immensely popular. They always speak to a person about special states in time. And the bottom line, however, non-dual the position being offered may sound, is that, you are not quite there yet. So there are more attainments, more work, more progress, more levels, more stages or what have you. And there is always the enlightened teacher and selected students, who are rumored to have it. Of course this is all the height of nonsense and completely out of sync with the basic point of all this. It is not that you will become that, you are that. That is the difference between paths of becoming, such as are offered in many popular approaches, and the direct pointing to what you are. You say all the spiritual pointers are concepts. Most people looking into non-duality tend to miss this key point. Being or non-conceptual awareness can never be an experience. That is the beauty of it. The word is not it. You cannot experience being, because you are that. It is not too. Thus non-duality. The basic point of non-duality is that here and now, you are that reality itself. Said another way, there has never been a separation at any time. That is what allows the full stop and the direct recognition that there is nothing wrong, now or ever. For this reason the religious, addicted by the dopamine rush, seeks and will always be a seeker. And that will always be a moralist, because his condition, that seeks and also linked to the desire of more dopamine in the brain. Non-duality traditions state unequivocally that there is a reality and that this reality and your being are one and the same thing. Most people are overlooking this point and are identifying what they are with some objective appearance or concept in the mind. Thus, they are completely oblivious of what they truly are. This is the cause of all seeking. Suffering is only conceptualizing about a conceptual I. Question. So these other non-duality teachers, are they deluded? John. Most of those who were aware of the non-dual nature of reality refused to be categorized as teachers in the first place. Ramana Maharshi and Nisargadatta Maharaj, for example, did not view themselves as gurus or teachers, even though they were often defined as such by others. Basically, you are spinning around in all types of acquired concepts and missing the point. The notion of needing a special realization or happening is false. There is no duality in non-duality. Non-duality is not a progressive achievement in time. Stick with non-duality. Do not accept dualistic doctrines that leave you in need of patching everything back together. That's why my fight against religion. These people consciously hypnotize others into their cults. The cult of the dopamine addict. And thus destroying the lives of those who could have built a life without any hope. This is mental destruction. It is psychopathic and it is the religious. Question. What is necessary for a teacher's presentation to be orthodox, in my view, is adherence to a fairly small set.
of core principles and to present those principles with the appropriate emphasis and with the right degree of importance. John. Yes, the presentation must also be in tune with the capacity of the seeker. Non-duality will never be a one-size-fits-all solution. In fact, it cannot really be packaged and marketed without turning it into a conceptual system, which defeats the purpose. This often happens with conceptualized versions of Vedanta, Buddhism, Etsy. It looks good on paper, but loses all force. That is why most of the great ones did not come from within the fold of the pundits and scholars. Religions are tools of mass social destruction. As long as they exist and are not banned by society, human society will not advance. Question. I mean, if there is no thought about non-duality, there is no question and no answer. John. Exactly. That is why silence is the best speech, as some have said. There is no duality in non-duality. The final statement from the Dzogchen tradition is, all there is, is non-conceptual, self-shining, ever-fresh presence awareness, just this and nothing else. There is nothing other than this, question, by the way, this teaching of non-dual, pure awareness would be illegal in some countries. Perhaps those interested in it would be persecuted in places like China. John, the message is generally resisted by authoritarian power structures. To teach, you are reality, completely undermines the ultimate value of external hierarchies and is often conceived as threatening. Non-duality is the final message of spiritual traditions and philosophies, but is generally not promoted openly in the exoteric versions of the teachings. John, most social reforms fail on this point, because they do not offer genuine freedom but only modified ideologies, conceptual systems. Real non-duality sets us free from all dualistic concepts and hence delivers us to lasting freedom, not merely social reforms. That's why the universalist character ended up in the universalist doctrine, like socialism and its application communism. Nazism is another form of collectivism that dehumanized the other. Collectivism is dehumanized the other. It has no other purpose. The other is seen as the enemy, therefore a dualistic vision, therefore an adversary. John, non-duality means whatever you are and whatever reality is, being, awareness, etc., are not two. There is no division. This is not about some you becoming one with everything that is still duality. From Eternity Now by Francis Lucille. Question, what do you mean by non-duality? Francis, non-duality means there are not two things, like subject and object, man and woman, good and evil. From Conscious Writing Discover Your True Voice Through Mindfulness and More by Julia McCutcheon. This is the essence of the non-dual teachings of Advaita, a Sanskrit word meaning, not two. Advaita points towards there being one reality which is the very heart of present moment awareness, the essential unity of all that is. One of the most celebrated teachers of Advaita, Nisargadatta Maharaj, puts it like this, when you go beyond awareness, there is a state of non-duality in which there is no cognition, only pure being. In the state of non-duality, all separation ceases. Of course, all of this exists way beyond logical analysis and intellectual interpretation. It can only be pointed towards inwards. Our usual experience of life is through the interplay of opposites, light and dark, subject and object, this and that. The wave cannot be separate from the ocean from which it is formed. From an extraordinary absence. Liberation in the midst of a very ordinary life by Jeff Foster. Question. You were saying earlier that you used to be very shy. You studied astrophysics at Cambridge University and you did that partly because you didn't want to have to communicate with people. 
And here you are talking away no problem. Jeff, I know, it's astonishing. I just don't know. I sit in my meetings, and talking to you now, and the words just come out. If I could put it into words, it's like I sit back and just watch these words come out. And sometimes they surprise me. Sometimes I'm shocked at what comes out. There's the sense that, I couldn't have done this, I wouldn't have said this. This is almost incomprehensible to people who are not in this state. That there is something automatic that runs in the background, and responds to all the tasks of the day. So I'll take a quote from Activate Your Vagus Nerve. Unleash your body's natural ability to heal by Dr. Nawaz Habib. Our bodies are designed to live and survive without the need for conscious thought. Without the need for conscious thought. Without the need for conscious thought.